Hello and welcome back to the Primary Education Voices podcast, the podcast dedicated to the exciting world of primary education with me, your host, Matt Roberts. If you're a member of staff in primary education, then this podcast is for you. Uh, each each week or each every couple of weeks, we uh, interview a special guest who is uh, from a primary setting and we find out what inspires them. We're finding them out about their top tips, resources and philosophies and what just they're passionate about in this wonderful world of education. Uh, this week, uh, we sat down and uh, interviewed with James Fraser. James uh, is known on Twitter as at Eat Sleep ICT Repeat or RPT uh, as a shortened version of Repeat. Uh, and he has a, a number of things that he is interested in in his 16 years of being in primary education, uh, two years as a TA and then as a classroom teacher, in particular, spending seven years as a computing specialist. Uh, James was, is just really passionate about primary education. It was great to have him on the podcast uh, and just to hear some of the things that he shared uh, in his primary three. Uh, I can't wait to share with you. Frankly, they are some really fascinating uh, topics, um, which I thought would be really interesting to talk about when he brought them to the podcast. So uh, I thought it was fantastic to get him on. Uh, as, I, as I mentioned, he is a complete computing specialist and he is dropping a day uh, from September and launching his own primary computing consultancy business as well. Uh, and so if you are interested or want to find out more about computing in primary education, then James would be a great person to reach out to and to hear some ideas from. Uh, but even if you are not a computing specialist, you know, if you're just a, a well, I say just a, if you are a teacher in the primary setting or a leader within, a senior leader within primary education, then his insights into um, education will be really interesting to, to listen to. So without further ado, let's sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode that we had with James Fraser. Hello and welcome to the podcast, James Fraser. How are you doing today, James? Yeah, really good. Thanks, Matt. Thank you for uh, inviting me on today. Fantastic. Well, it's great to have you on and I appreciate, obviously, we're getting towards the end of the year. It's a busy time. So thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule to speak to us today. Oh, thank you. Brilliant. Well, we're going to start uh, with our quick fire questions, as we do with all of our guests, just to get to know you a little bit more. So first of all, James, what is your Twitter handle? Uh, so it's at Eat Sleep. ICT repeat and repeat is the abbreviated RPT. Love it. It's a nice, easy one to remember that. Uh, when I saw it, I was like, oh, I'm going to remember that easily. So that's great. Yeah, that, that was the plan with the name. <laughs> Make it catchy that something that everyone will remember. <laughs> Lovely. Um, and what's been your primary journey? Oh, sorry. How many years have you been in primary education, James? Uh, so altogether, I did about two years first as a TA. And then uh, I've been teaching 14 years um, as a qualified teacher. Um, and in the last seven of that has specifically been as a computing specialist and uh, also as a consultant too within that time. Excellent. And that's pretty much answer my next question as well, which is about kind of your primary journey so far. So two years as a TA and the last seven years as a computing lead and, spe and uh, specialist as well, which is fantastic. Um, what is your favourite subject, James? And uh, why is it your favourite subject? Well, you may be really shocked to hear this, uh, but it is actually computing. Ah. <laughs> um, being a computing specialist, you know, I do absolutely love it. I have a massive passion for the subject. Um, and, you know, that's kind of reflected in my curriculum as well. Like if you compare my curriculum over the last five years, it's constantly changing, constantly tweaking. I'm always coming up with new ideas and just, you know, being able to see what children can create, you know, the, the digital creativity they can create the coding that they can learn, um, those 
you know, core skills that they need in life as well. And of course, the, the all important online safety, you know, I, I think it's um, such a fantastic subject to teach. It's obviously really important in life because we live in such a technical world. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's got to be computing. If there has to be a second one, just to sort of throw it in there, I would probably also say history. I'm a bit of a history buff as well. And uh, when I have to, you know, cover a few teachers as well, I always sort of go, go to them, you know, can I can I do history, please? Um, so I do like sort of, you know, learning about invasions and Anglo-Saxons and Romans. I like to make that really exciting as well. Lovely. No, it's great. And actually, I, I was careful not to assume it was computing because uh, a number of times when it's been someone that's had a particular interest in a certain area or that kind of thing, they've always gone, well, actually, I quite like this subject. So I kind of let you answer that. But it was computing, as, as I thought it might be. So that's great. But computing's number one. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, in your own education, James, did you have a favourite teacher and why were they your favourite teacher? Um, I would probably say from primary school I would I would probably say it was Mr Johnson um he was he was a maths teacher and um I, th- I really liked him because he just he really cared like you know maths was not my strongest subject at all you know that that and PE are kind of down down at the bottom um but you know he really did t- put in the time you know to help me help me through it and and even made me you know in, enjoy it back at the time um, I've also as well got to give a shout out to um, Mrs. Galzoulis, who uh, taught me later on. She was my first drama teacher because um, actually my my background as well is isn't in computing at all. Computing's always kind of been a hobby, um, but everything I've studied, you know, up to degree level has all been in drama. So she really inspired me to get into drama and the world of theatre and performing arts. And, uh, you know, she uh, gave me my first lead role as well in our uh, in our productions that we were doing so uh, yeah shout out to Miss Gazzolis as well. Ah, that's lovely and uh, finally if you had to or if you already do uh, what after school club would you run? So this is a club that I do run at my current school um, it's a brilliant club to run and it's Lego Club. Um, absolutely love uh, Lego Club. Uh, I uh, run it a bit like Lego Masters I don't know if you've watched Lego Masters on TV um, where they give uh, the contestants different challenges to do to build in a certain amount of time. So we do a kind of range of basic ones and lots of problem solving tasks as well. You know, build the strongest bridge for this car, build the tallest tower. Uh, we do some great ones as well where I I blindfold half of the children. And uh, I say half because the other ones are making sure that, you know, they're, they're being safe. But, you know, it's like, what can you build blindfolded or can you build a mini beast that o- only uses two colours and ten pieces? So lots of different challenges like that. I would also like to expand it in the future and kind of bring in more Lego robotics as well, like the spikes and primes, things like that as well. But, um, yeah, that Lego Masters format works really well with it. That sounds fantastic. Really, uh, really creative and tapping into just skills that maybe the children don't maybe feel they get to use as much. So I love that. It's a great stretching. And and I get to play with Lego as well, which is always a benefit because I'm a, you know, adult fan of Lego as well. (laughs) Absolutely. And if you're going to run a club, I mean, you may as well do something that you enjoy and have a passion for. Like, and that's why I love hearing all these different, uh, different clubs that get shouted out on the podcast. You know, this is episode 78 now. and We've got, uh, we've heard all sorts of, you know, amazing, insightful and just interesting clubs that uh, that run around the country so uh no some great food for thought there so let's go into uh to the next question uh to kind of begin our main discussion on the podcast first of all uh james what inspired you to become involved in primary education in the first place so matt as i said to you um all my education was was in drama um right up to degree level and when i left uni 
Um, I was kind of not really sure what I was going to do then. I hadn't really decided. Um, I hadn't thought about teaching at all. I mean, I didn't really enjoy school, so I never really thought that that would be something I'd go into. So I was doing sort of drama-based stuff, a few um, stage manager jobs here and there. But one of the things I was doing at the time was running drama workshops, you know, for, for things like Saturday schools and uh, the YMCA ran organization as well. So when I was kind of reflecting on where I wanted to go. I was like, what do I love doing the most? And it was actually running those drama workshops and, you know, being the drama teacher. And so I kind of had that fork in the road where I was like, well, I could go into secondary and specialize in doing drama or I do love working with the little ones maybe I'll do that and then I can incorporate drama into that as well and that's what I decided to do so that's when I sort of um you know dip my dip my toe tried it out by being a TA for a couple of years really didn't like not being in charge of the class I thought I think I know where I need to be um and then did my teacher training and and then qualified in um uh 2009 I think it was Mm. um so that that's kind of led me to then you know be a class teacher for about seven years um and then just in my last school, um, I didn't have a great experience in my last school. Um, and I was watching uh, videos on Facebook by um, ICT with Mr. P, Mr. Parker Lee Parkinson, who I know you've, you've also had on the podcast. And he was just sharing these really creative, um, you know, ed tech videos, you know, inspiring, engaging lessons using ed tech. And I was watching them going, I want to do lessons like that. I want to have the time to... To, to use AR and VR and, and create these really wonderful projects using green screen. And that's when um, I thought to myself, my last school, maybe I can carry on being a primary school teacher, but just specialise in computing. And that's when I found my current role in, in the school that I'm at now. That's amazing. I, I just love uh, this idea and the different ways that teachers get into teaching. And obviously, again, it, this is a situation where you haven't really thought about it, but you were engaged with children, helping them develop their skills in a different setting outside of school. And you felt this was, you know, something which you would, that stood out to you and you felt would, was really resonated with you. Yeah. And I, st- and I still get to bring, you know, drama elements into a lot as well, especially in English when you start doing role play, um, you know, and, and, I, and I get to still direct stuff. We do a, a staff pantomime my school and, and I help up with the year six production. So I'm, I'm still getting my drama fix. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I think, and I, <laughs> Obviously, there is the uh, the drama elements of what we do uh, in education as well. But um, I think what we do in front of the classroom is almost like drama. Almost, we are almost putting on a show for the children, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely, we are. We're, we're performing every day, and you know, even even when you have to turn to that child and say, "Oh, you've made me very cross," you know, not really <laughs> cross. You just put in on that performance, and you go on to teaching your lesson again. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So no, it's a really good skill to have, which is fantastic. And of course, working in primary schools and in in a primary setting, we have many things that happen and experiences that we have that we can share along the way. What's the funny story that you can share from your time in primary education, James? Okay, so I had a little think about this one. Um, I did think about the time that it was my first time having to organise the year two trip to Littlehampton. Um, so I was in an Ealing school and we had a ranger trip to Littlehampton. I was in charge of booking everything. And it was on the day ready to leave, leave to go. And um, we were all waiting to go. And I was, you know, looking out for the coaches and the coaches hadn't turned up to take us down there. And uh, we're getting a bit worried and it's getting a little bit late now. So I went to the um, office and I said, where are the coaches? And the office staff said, what, what coaches? I went, the coaches for our trip. It's like, you didn't book any coaches. 
Um, and she's absolutely right. What I had done is actually asked her for a quote and didn't actually book any coaches. So we ended up having to um, use like the year four swimming buses. And I think even the head teacher had to take some children down. So I was going to go with that story. And then I remember that it wasn't actually funny. That was actually a, ended up being a bit of a nightmare. And there was a lot of sick involved as well. Um, so uh, I had another little thing. And um, I think probably probably the funniest uh, memory I have is that when um, in that year group when I was a year two teacher there was a there was a little quiet boy called Joseph mm. and we were we were doing um, show and tell always always a highlight of the week and he came up he doesn't usually come up because he was quite shy but he said I've got a magic trick for you all I was like oh okay so we came up and he and he held up in front of him this this short piece of string and he said to the whole class how many pieces of string am I holding so the castle went well one so he goes, watch this. So then for the next few moments, he's he's frantically trying to, to separate the threads of string from this, like picking at it with his fingernails and the tension's building in the room and we're all trying to work out what's going on. And he's fighting, fighting at this string. But then he eventually gives up and he goes, yeah, there's one. And he goes and sits back down. <laughs> oh, amazing. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I was like, everyone's like, well, what's, what was the trick? I'm just like, let's move on. Let's move on. Because <laughs> then, of course, you're at the front, probably trying not to laugh in front of the class oh. and just laugh at what's just happened in front of you. Um, but also trying to not have the class realise what's just happened and then start laughing because, of course, you don't want to hurt his feelings. So no, Absolutely. Didn't want to hurt his feelings. You know, we, we still gave him a round of applause. You know, I don't think the children were really sure what they were applauding, but, you know, it was <laughs> it was good for him. I'm sure it. Well, hopefully built up his confidence, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. No, and it's just, like I say, I love hearing those stories because it's just those things happen and you just don't forget them. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was that was a good 12 years ago and I've not forgotten that. <laughs> Amazing. Well, let's go on now to your primary three. And for any listeners uh, who may be new to the podcast, the, the primary three are three things about primary education that the guest is really passionate about. I keep it nice and wide open for them to talk about whatever they, whatever they want. It could be top tips, resources, philosophies absolutely anything about primary education that they think is really important the three primary things uh, and so thank you for sending me yours ahead of time james we're going to start off with talking about connecting with other subject leaders both in person and on social media and this is a you know a really uh, important aspect i think of education that sometimes when we're in the middle of our schools going day to day we can easily forget about so do you want to talk about first of all why for you that's one of the first three things that comes to mind yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this this isn't just, you know, thinking about being an ICT subject lead, it's applying to any subject lead. And though in some schools you might get English teams or, or math teams for those core subjects. But I think when you've got one of the other core subjects, you know, it can be very lonely being a subject lead. You know, you're in charge of that subject. You've got to work out what to do. And I know, you know, especially as I've, you know, been an ICT lead for, you know, probably those 12 years now. Um, it can get very lonely. There's no really, there's no one really who wants to sort of talk about what's going on in ICT, um, subject leader wise anyway. Um, and so, uh, and, and also, and also people are in, are in, you know, different positions when they get a subject lead. Sometimes, you know, fortunately like me, I have a passion for, for the subject that I teach, but there's others who are just kind of lumbered with it. Um, and they have to deal with that and they need support for that. And we all need support. You know, I'm, I'm constantly reaching out for support and ideas, um, the first subject I think I was in charge of was was DT, um, which was well, which probably should have been my funny story, really, because I'm absolutely terrible at DIY and constructing things. 
Um, but, you know, some of the best CPD that I've had over the years have just been through network meetings. Um, and I was very lucky because I know lots of kind of local authorities do do this. I know, that, I know you know, it, funding has affected a lot of them. Um, but my school is in uh, Brent and the Brent Schools Partnership ran uh, computing sort of CPD and networking courses. It was run by this great company uh, called 3BM who um, don't exist anymore. They, they sort of dissolved last year. But, you know, they'd run these brilliant sessions where I'd meet with other Brent computing leaders and we'd have, you know, key sessions on what's important, what to think about, what elements of the subject you need to to look at and things like that. And then as well as give us some training as well. Um, and that was really the best you know, opportunity to talk to others and, and to kind of vent and talk about what your joint frustrations might be as well and just to share good practice. And um, I had a really fortunate opportunity because one of the um, members of 3BM, a guy called Nick Hughes, um, who's another computing consultant, when the company dissolved, he said to me, look, James, do, should we carry this on? There's obviously a market for it. Lots of Brent computing needs are keen. Let's carry it on. So for the whole of this year, I'm really pleased we're going to be continuing it into next year as well. We took over these sessions. <clears throat> so we, we'd always start the session um, with, you know, key news and updates, whether that's your kind of late, latest conference or reminding the delegates about, say, for Internet Day that's coming up, something like that. And then we would sort of organize a couple of sessions that, that, as I said, would be linked to the subject, could be about leadership, maybe a hot topic like AI, could be just do with assessment or, or auditing or online safety, something like that. And then, you know, so that, you know, the, the delegates don't all fall asleep, we have a really good hands-on session that might be, you know, let's look how we can use green screen or micro bits or let's bring in a whole lot of robotics. We did that this year, which was really exciting. We, we compared them and looked at who they were appropriate for and what age, um, you know, the price of them, things like that. So, you know, doing a little review of all of those. Um, and you might bring in guest companies as well. We had um, a guy from Adobe visit us in our last session. Um, and then as well as that, you know, we, we want opportunities where it's not just myself and Nick talking. We have a little session, which we've obviously called circle time, like we have to call it circle time. That's, that's what it is. Um, and that's where we just, you know, we don't, it's not us at the front and them at the desk anymore. We sit in a circle together and we just pose a question, you know, to everyone. It might be, you know, how, how do you support your EAL learners in computing? Um, or uh, do you have any top tips for classroom management? You know, how do you manage your headphones? How do you manage logons? Things like that. And then we just share good practice um, around around the circle. Um, and then we also have an another little session near the end called show and tell. And that's where if someone is someone from the group is working on something specific. That's when they share. Um, when I was a delegate, I was always the one going me, me, me. I've got something to share, which is probably why I'm in the position I'm now with with the group. Um, but, you know, that's just really great to hear what other schools are doing and, and to get those ideas. And we just always make sure there's an opportunity for networking and and connecting and, you know, being able to team up as well. Um, I originally connect, uh, I, uh, connected with a um, computing specialist from a school about a month ago and we had a digital leader day together. You know, we connected and then we shared that good practice and I mini bust my digital leaders over to her school and we had a fantastic day of it. Um, so I think it's just it's really important to have those those meetings as well. But um, as, as as I said, it's not just the face to face ones as well. You know, social media is just fantastic for, for connecting you with other leaders. Um, there's a there's a wonderful if there's computing leaders listening, there's a wonderful Facebook group. 
called Primary Computing Coordinators UK. And it's just such an open platform. You can ask whatever you want. There's so many people that get on board with, um, you know, sharing ideas and and uh, following what you're doing and, and sharing links. So many, there's so many free resources online. So many people creating material and, and, and sharing them out there for free. Um, Twitter as well. Um, I know some people can have negative experiences on Twitter, but I've I've never had that. I mean, I, I put that down to the fact that I, you know, I keep it sort of professional. I just share my great ideas from my classroom on Twitter and I kind of share with like-minded people. Um, and, you know, I someone referred to it once as the best staff room in the world. Uh, and I, I totally see it that way as well. Um, you get great um, chats like Kaz Chat on a Tuesday evening, Apple Edu Chat if you want your iPad ideas primary rocks there's all of those chats going on that you can you can hashtag at those different times and then I think the 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 brilliant part of those as well is that when you all get together at somewhere like the bet show or a conference and you go oh you're them off twitter and oh you're that handle and oh you're the person who has the the flower for the avatar yeah I know who you are and and you know meeting them in real life and and because you have those fantastic communications online and through those chats you feel like you know these people already there's so many people especially in the the um, CAS community which is the computing at schools community who I've met and it's almost like you're my computing brother you know my, my computing twin like you just have those connections so I think it's just it's just so important to you know support yourself that way even if you're not someone who shares ideas yourself you know find those platforms where you can ask for help and you can connect with others. I think it's really so important because like you say in a in a framework that we're working in right now where the wider curriculum is 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 ever more under scrutiny and being made more put for, forward to the forefront you know subject leaders have such a big task especially in smaller schools where you're always expected to be well you are expected to be a special a subject specialist and you are expected to yeah. have all of this knowledge and these ideas and drive and champion your subject and sometimes like you mentioned with your dt you're just given a subject because that subject doesn't have someone to lead mm. it at the moment. So to have these networks, to have these connections that you can make, just is are so vital. They really are. I, I lead a I lead a maths uh, subject leader network in my local area, which I'm very fortunate to be a part of. And mm. it was just fascinating to be able to get these people in the room and just to draw from each other's expertise and experience. And I think it just has such a huge impact and helps you, like you say, in a role where you are the one in the school you're that people look to as you know the person with the the knowledge and the understanding of where to go with that subject when sometimes mm. you probably don't feel that way absolutely and i and i think as well if if you know i, I said that you know brent schools partnership you know organizes mine but if 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 there's someone listening and they're thinking well my mine doesn't organize anything like approach the other schools in your area like you know go go to them email them ask who the computing specialist and just just organize it yourselves even if you're meeting with just two other specialists just create those opportunities it's really important yeah absolutely i think that's a really important point because you know i've moved i've, I've worked in a few different local authorities and each one has had different offers or not mm. you know not very many offers for subject leaders and so like you say if you if you don't if you're not in the fortunate position where you can or you are aware of a network you can easily connect to, then yeah, there will be some work and some effort, but get in contact with the schools, yeah. have to speak with those leads and set something up with, even if it's a few of you, even if it's just virtually via email and just sharing ideas and documentation, and all these things to just uh, help each other. I think that's a really great point there, uh, James. Thank you. Um, I want to move on to the next of your primary three. Um, and I think this is going to be a really interesting discussion because um, 
it's, it's in the news quite recently, uh, very often, and it's something which more and more teachers are becoming more aware of. In fact, just today, I had a conversation with some members of staff about this, uh, this uh, topic, and that is about embracing AI in education. So do you want to first talk about uh, why that's so important to you? Yeah, absolutely. And I know that I think this is sort of quite a controversial, can be quite a controversial topic to talk about. Um, it's a very new thing, like you said as well. Um, I mean, I mean, we know that AI has, has been around for a long time. You know, there's AI built into lots of systems that, that we've been using. But, you know, this is spe specifically, you know, from the launch of, you know, ChatGPT, um, which uh, is always difficult to say, get the letters in the right order. Um, but, you know, since it launched, you know, I think it was February this year um, and then gained like 100 million users within two months. You know, it's it's really expanded into every area as well, not just obviously within education, but, you know, the whole the whole economy, all different areas using AI. And I know that there is lots of fear. I think teachers do have some fear about it. You know, as people going around saying, oh, AI is going to replace teachers. Um, what I've heard is the phrase teachers using AI will replace teachers who are not. So I'm, I'm sort of along, along that route. But, you know, at the same time, there's lots of excitement. You know, and I'm very excited about it. Um, I went to the London Grid for Learning conference back in March and there was loads of buzz and, and presentations about it then. And it's it's all moving incredibly fast. Like it's a bit like a, a bullet train that you've got to, got, got to get on board on. There's, you know, hundreds of AI sites being created daily to help you with this and help you with that. Um, but, you know, I really, you know, believe that this incarnation of it, you know, it's, it's you know, I, well, I'd be bold to say that it's like the most powerful ed tech tool since the Internet arriving in schools. Like there's there's so much that you can do with it. Um, and I know as well, you know, a lot of secondary and FE um, institutions, you know, they're having a bit of a nightmare with students submitting AI work. Um, you know, but, it, but it's still in its infancy stage. Um, you know, we'll we'll look back you know, in, in years, uh, what AI was like in 2023. And we won't believe where it was com compared to where it is now. Actually, Matt, there's a, there's a funny story about um, student submitting work that I saw on Twitter, where I think a teacher had tweeted, oh, how am I supposed to know whether, th whether this is AI generated or not? And I think the um, student had to write about Twelfth Night, but they left in the part at the top that said, as an AI language model, I can't complete this assignment. However, I can provide you with some guidance. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. It is fascinating, and um, we're just last week we had the education secretary talking about AI. You know, this this isn't just this in within um, computing or IT circles within education. You know, huge amounts of people are, are talking about this and how it can and how it probably will. Well, it will, like you say, change the way that we do things mm. in education. But right now is the time where we have to consider, well, what does that look like for us at the moment? How do we avoid any uh, challenges? And uh, and also, what can it be used for? What things can we look to? So I'm going to look to you now to answer some of those questions, James. So first of all, what do you see AI being um, able to help teachers with uh, in education? Yeah, well, I think what's what's really important when when people think about it is not to think about AI as in, Oh, it's just going to do it all for you. Mm -hmm. But actually, you know, what you're doing is, is and I'm going to quote, you know, Dan Fitzpatrick here, who is, is a great person to follow. If, you, if you're on Facebook or Twitter, look for Dan Fitzpatrick. He's at Dan Fitz tweets. He's the AI educator. And I, I, I heard him in a, a seminar that I attended and, and he said, you've got to outsource the doing, not the thinking, you know, as a teacher, you've still got to be providing those, prompts to ai 
And if you give AI 1%, it will give you 1% back. Whereas if you're detailed and, you know, you, you give it that prompt, um, you give more, then it will give more back. Um, and I think there's so many different ways that, that we can use um, AI if we know the, the correct sort of prompt engineering is, is the phrase that he coins, you know, to be a prompt engineer, to prompt in the right way. Um, I've, I support in year four sometimes as well. And I was, I was uh, talking to the year four teacher about how we could use it in different ways. Um, model writing is a, is a fantastic example to do it. If you, if you um, have a piece of model writing, uh, you want AI, AI, AI produce, you can ask it to do that. You can ask it to include certain elements or not include certain elements, specify which age group it's for as well. You know, in the UK, that's important as well. So you sort of take out the Americanisms when you're doing that. If you want it to write um, a character or a setting description. So if you're if you're looking at a particular book, I think when I worked in year four, we were looking at walls in the wall um, and they were looking at uh, children were looking at describing the character. And we wanted to have a, a model work. So I asked AI, you know, can you create a character description of the main character in walls of the wall? You know, it has all that knowledge that, you know, the free version, the chat G need to get this right. Chat GPT um version that's free you know it is up to 2021 it has the knowledge up to there um it's not a live tool but you know it has enough knowledge to sort of cover the books that you're looking at and you know it can give those wonderful model descriptions um and then you know further on if you're looking at a book you can get it to ask questions you know write five inference questions um about the chapter in this book that you're looking at um one thing i've used it for as well which has been really useful is uh creating a quiz so um, I gave my children a coding quiz the other day, coding vocabulary quiz. So um asked it to create a quiz with answers. That's always something people forget as well. They ask AI to create a quiz and then forget the answers. Obviously, you, you should know the answers as the teacher, but, you know, you can get the answers as well. You just you just have to write the next after, after it gives you the questions. You just have to write afterwards. Lovely. Can you now give me all the answers to the questions that you gave me? Um, so creating a quiz is really good and, and it can just be normal questions or it could be, you know, can you create a fill in the gaps quiz? Um, and people, and people are using it in lots of different ways. Uh, you can create, you know, lessons from it. You can create whole units of work as well. Um, oh, I tell you, uh, Matt, there was a really lovely lesson. I was, uh, teaching year two, year two history lesson. We were learning about the great fire of London and, um, about Samuel Pepys and his diary. And I said, oh, guys, would you, uh, would you like to, uh, have a chat with Samuel Pepys? Should we have a chat with Samuel Pepys? Um, cause a really nice way to use AI is, is role playing famous figures. So I typed in, I was, um, I, was, I, was, I was quite specific with my commands. I said, take on the persona of Samuel Pepys. You're, you've got to say your knowledge is limited to that of Samuel Pepys. That's really important. Answer all my questions in the style of Samuel Pepys. You're talking to a group of seven-year-olds who want to interview you. Mm-hmm. So they did that and it said, oh, yes, yeah, I doth my hat to you. And, and so the children were saying, what was it like? seeing the Great Fire of London, they were like, oh, it was very scary. And we didn't realize that it could spread so quickly. And we had to run for shelter and people were running to the Thames to get water as fast as they could. And it was lovely. It was like they were having this virtual chat, this virtual conversation with, with Samuel Pepys. And you can extend that as well. You can sort of app smash that with um, other AI software out there to you know, create the figure, the actual image of Samuel Pepys and have him say the words as well. You can link all that together, um, which is really lovely. Um, what else yeah so um yeah if you want it to simplify text it's really good um if you if you um have got text and you think oh this isn't quite age appropriate or maybe there's a website with information on that you think that would be great but i need it a bit more age appropriate you could copy that in 
and then uh you can simplify the text make it more accessible for them so yeah matt there's there's so there's so many different things and as i say we're really in the, the infancy stage on this there's so many amazing things that you you can do with ai yeah, I mean, first of all, that's an incredible job you just did there. <laughs> I think you've counted at least seven different uh, possibilities. And of course, you know, there's, there's many, many more. Uh, I've, I've, I've had to play around with it myself. And it is, it's fascinating. But like you say, it's very important people recognize the way it's to be used. It isn't just to, you literally, so you don't have to do anything. It is there to help form structures and processes and things which, you with your your capabilities may forget certain aspects or things you, you need to have included in whatever it is you're creating and that mm. can then give you that and then you can take that and kind of take the bits you want or or edit or add to those bits and it just really helps you to create um with taking out a lot of the heavy thinking in terms of gathering the information i mean that thing about uh, samuel Peters is, is really fascinating because of course mm. If you want to role play that, I mean, you know, you can do it the best you can, but you really need to be steeped in in that knowledge and that information about the times to make sure that you are being factually and historically accurate. Whereas the AI obviously has that information in its in its entire yeah. database. So I think that's but, really fascinating. But, but on that as well, like you're absolutely right, and you mentioned the point about editing, and that is really really crucial. You've when you when you get a piece of generated AI text from what you've requested you know you've really got to treat it like one of your pupils you know you've got to edit and you've got to check it because it's taking its information from the whole internet you know and people have done little experiments um and they found it you know they found biased answers um in there or if factually incorrect answers so you do have to absolutely check it uh check it through and do that as well you know it's also not you know it's important to understand that it's not perfect you know um there are um, certain things out there. I know there's a great text to picture or great text to image um, websites out there um, that really struggle. If you want to sort of create an image, you, you can sort of type in things like Lost Girl in the Woods and it will create a wonderful image of that that children could write about that you could use. But, you know, it really struggles with emotion sometimes or with hands. Mm-hmm. I did one where I wanted it to create some online safety images of children looking worried at their phones and it kind of had taken an image, but it wasn't sure how to really show the shocked face. It looked a little bit distorted and it really struggles with hands. It doesn't it doesn't really know that humans have five fingers or four fingers and a thumb because it takes its information from images. And it might see images where it might see a hand and because of the angle at the hand, you might only see three fingers or four fingers or you might see five. So because it has those inaccuracies in it, you have to always, you know, double check and know you're not always going to get the perfect result from it. Mm, that's fascinating. Mm. So obviously you just mentioned there, James, about the need to clearly edit and to read through and to check the information that AI, if you were going to use this in education uh, at this moment in, in the format it is and the, and the version it is um, that we need to make sure we are careful with editing and looking at that information. Is there any other kind of words of advice or, or, or kind of things that teachers need to be aware of if they're looking into using AI in education? I think just to be aware of student use. Um, I know there are some good text to image or uh, apps out there, websites out there where students can draw a picture and then it convert it into a photograph um, or in, or into a drawing. I think it's just really important to understand, you know, the use of it and that it is accessing, you know, the internet, you know, everything that is out there. Um, Chat GPT itself is rated 13. So I think that's important to consider. Um, and I think just as well, when it comes to, and I, and I guess maybe this, won't be in primary so much, but maybe, you know, further up 
in, into secondary and, and um, into higher education as well, you know, the, the battles that they are having about recognising what is AI generated and, and, and what is not. And you might get someone who might submit a piece of work where a section of it has been written by, by AI. Um, but it's but I, I think it's important for teachers to be aware as well, you know, if they are in that kind of situation, that the AI detectors that are out there, you know, that's the that's their kind of weapon of weapon they have at the moment, but they're not always reliable. Mm. Um, I have seen tweets out there, I think, where someone said, my best mate has just um, submitted their entire master's um, and it's come back as saying it was AI generated. And it's not at all. They've worked on it for, for two years. You know, they've it's come back as being AI generated. So they're not interested. So it's we are at quite a difficult time at the moment. Um, and I think just to not be too reliant on it. You know, I, I don't want to force AI down people's throats, but I think use it when you need to use it, especially at a time where people are really struggling with workload. If you've got so much on at the moment and you've got a huge list of things to do and you think, oh, I've got to create this, well, I've got to create this, so you create this, well, I've got to create that resource, I've got to find a model right somewhere, you know, use it to your advantage. If there's a part of your planning process um, or your assessment process where you think I can use AI to help you do that, then then do that. You know, the, the amount of um, messages I've seen online um during half term where people have used ai software to help them write, write their reports and they've said i actually got it done in such a quick time thanks to ai that i got to spend time with my family you know it is having a massive positive impact on teacher well-being and workload which i which i know you've talked about a lot with with other people um in the past yeah no absolutely it is one of those things that comes up so often and again it's unfortunate because there is no real easy answer, but it feels like with AI and obviously, you know, making sure that we use it in, a, in, a, in an appropriate way, in a way in which mm. that we're not over-reliance on it, so that we're not taking away our innovation and our own creativity as a teacher and also making sure that we use it to support with heavy lifting, but that we are doing it with a, in a way that we are doing the thinking, that we are the person driving that forward and uh, editing carefully. I think, like you say, there are some great ways in which we can explore this. And so, obviously, you know, we can't put the world to rights with AI in, the, in this one podcast. Mm-hmm. But it is something to, interesting to signpost teachers towards and something which, if you if they haven't looked into, would be worth looking into. And as you mentioned, ChatGPT is, is a very popular one, but I'm sure there's many um, kind of versions and, and examples out there as well. So that's fantastic. Let's go on now to the third of your primary three, James, uh, and that is about iPads. Now, uh, we are kind of, you know, uh, a time limited podcast. I know that iPads, we could go again on a whole podcast itself about iPads and the, and the ways we can use them in education. So do you want to first talk about why iPads for you are a really important uh, tool in, in education? Absolutely. And, and I'll, I'll try and keep it under three hours. <laughs> there, is, there is so much you can say about iPads. Um, interesting. I remember when I first became a computing coordinator, which was probably about about 12 years ago, I think iPads were still at the stage where they were uh, like a business product or a, a personal personalized product that was trying to be educational. It, it sort of it, people were trying to make it work. Whereas now, if you look at them in schools, like it's it's like an essential tool in education. You know, they're fully integrated and there's so many you know, features that you can use and so many apps out there that were that were designed for education. Um, they're just fantastic. I mean, you know, even even saying just at a basic level, you know, if you give a teacher an iPad, 
they can then record evidence through photos and videos. You know, that could be on a trip, that could be a science experiment, there could be some role play that they do. You know, even that, you're just you're already giving them another device platform where they can where they can record that kind of evidence. But you know, the the um uh, I'm gonna sort of mention two specific areas of iPads just so I can, you know, keep it within my allocated time. Um the first I think is like the accessibility features that you've got. Um, and these are all built into the iPad. I had a teacher come to me the other day going, oh, what's a useful app to do text to speech or speech to text? And I went, "There's you don't need an app. It's built into the iPads themselves. You know, they all have that. Every time you see the keyboard, there's a microphone button there. So you can say it instead of um, doing it. My kids love that as well. If they're writing scripts ever on the iPad, if they've got a lot to write, you know, or if they've, if, you know, if they struggle with typing, um, I say, right, let's click the microphone button, then say it, you know, and, and it will, and it will type it out. Um, you know, elements like predictive text, being able to change the display and text size, you know, that could help people who have visual impairments, audio d- um, descriptions as well, assistive touch, um, subtitles, captions, you know, the, the whole guided access um, features it has as well is, is just brilliant. So it's really bringing technology to so many people. It's especially people with, with specific needs as well. Um, but for me as a computing leader, I think why I love iPad so much is just because it brings digital creativity to, to the curriculum. Um, there's so many aspects. Like this is, this is a real area of computing as well. Like I love coding. I love, you know, teaching children about online safety and, and giving those core skills. But I'm a, a massive you know, flag waver for digital creativity and all those elements like animation, being able to create stop motion, animations whether that's a story they're doing or a a process you know create a stop motion animation of a caterpillar turning into a butterfly out of play-doh you know really bringing science to life in those kinds of ways it's not even just in in computing that you can use these and then there's other um, animation apps out there as well like how we were saying earlier with the with the ai that you can bring characters to life by animating their mouths and their their um their eyes and their features, things like that. As ones like Chatterpix, Talker, Puppet Pals, Keynote, they all do those kinds of things. Um, and then you've got audio editing as well. You've got, you know, really powerful apps like GarageBand out there where you've got a huge array of digital music where children can, you know, learn to play different music and create live loots for themselves, create, you know, jingles, songs, record podcasts on them as well. Um, and then you've got, you know, the features that you get with the camera and photos where you where you start doing image editing and video editing. Um, I think video editing can be such a powerful tool, you know, in 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 every subject. Um, I'm a massive fan of of iMovie um, and, and it's apps like iMovie as well that have brought things like green screen, you know, to to the children's hands like it's it's at their level, like it's something that they see in Marvel movies, but you know, they're able to do this as well. They can stand in front of a green screen, not very expensive to buy a green screen or a a green screen strand off Amazon or or other places are also available. Um, But you, you know, to be able to do that and then just to create that green screen and take you out of the classroom and somewhere else, your, you know, mythical magical land, like Narnia or whatever it is, you know, create those, create those, um, those journeys that children can go on through green screen, I think is absolutely fantastic. And then um, the last element of digital creativity I want to touch on um, was about the AR, the augmented reality and, and the virtual reality um, apps that you that you have available. There's a wonderful one that we use. It's um, BBC Civilizations, where it has lots of different artifacts like the Rosetta Stone. It has Egyptian mummies. And then when children have these, you know, they the, the Egyptian mummy 
sits on their desk in their classroom and they can zoom in, they can explore all around it. Um, and it's just so engaging. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, so other favorite ones, there's um, AR Moon, where they can uh, go through a portal from their playground. Well, at least they start by launching a rocket up into the sky from the playground and they can explore the moon and see what that looks like and describe it. Because it's hard to say to kids, describe what, what it's like on the moon. They're like, oh, I don't know, I've never been. But, you know, if you take them on a, a virtual journey where they go through the portal and they're suddenly, you know, on the moon meeting astronauts, then there's amazing learning opportunities there. Um, if you're doing Stone Age, there's uh, Deep River Coast AR, which is another a fantastic one as well for looking at Stone Age and fossils, cavemen. Um, there's a great uh, rivers one, I think, uh, from WWF, if you're studying about rivers. Yeah, there's there's so many different opportunities, so many different apps you have. Um, so I think that's that's why I love iPad so much, is just bringing that whole digital creativity element to not just computing, but but any subject. Yeah, it it just opens up a whole other world of, of exploration, really, doesn't it? And I think that, um, like you were just listing all of these things here, and, and most of them I haven't heard of yet or seen. And as a curriculum leader in my school, these are kind of things that I'm thinking, oh, I want to tell tell my year five staff about the moon. What I want to tell mm. you know my. Um, the, the, about the rivers as well like this you, just there's so many things there i think sometimes because there is so many things out there and teachers have very little time perhaps they aren't aware of these things as much because you know we have a we have a class of ipads in my school and we use them a lot for research and to be fair our computing is very uh creative we've got a lot of green screen in there we've got a lot of uh, digital creation in terms of the tools uh, and some of the software that's used for presentations and things like that so it was quite diverse which is good mm. in terms of using it cross critically to explore those types of things i think it's really interesting uh, to do that so in terms of a teacher that's perhaps heard this kind of list that you just created uh, and thinks oh is there stuff out there for what i want is there any advice in terms of finding these types of apps or resources that you would give to those teachers yeah absolutely i mean the if if they're on social media, if they're on Twitter, on and as I said, when you you can join Twitter without ever having to post anything, you know, you can just use it to search. There's a massive Apple education community out there. You've got Apple teachers, um, and it's and it's it's great to to do that as well. You get fantastic knowledge. I'm I'm an Apple teacher, and you know, you you learn so much from doing those courses. They're all free to do as well. Um, a lot of the Apple shares as well. Um, it's kind of led by their um, Apple Distinguished Educator program. So if you ever see anyone on Twitter who has like a gold circle around their 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 avatar their picture then they're they're usually an ade um and they're always sharing those resources and, and fantastic ways to use ipads as well and within that as well you get um regional training centers across across the uk as well and you get ades and apple teachers uh running courses on best use best uses of of ipad in those um i'm running one with um, a head teacher in a, another brent school we've done one this year where we uh, we looked at those elements actually we looked at animation and uh, editing and music and we you know we looked at lots of different apps that you could use to to bring that to life so yeah look for your local regional Apple regional training center have a look on Twitter you know do hashtag Apple Edu Apple Edu chat and uh, you'll find lots of ideas there. Fantastic, that's really great advice, and I think again will help teachers who want to 
use these tools, which I think pretty much most schools have a set of iPads in some form or fashion, but then be able to use them in even more diverse and more interesting creative ways, which I think would be fantastic. Well, thank you so much, uh, James, for your thoughts uh, on, on this on the podcast today. I've really appreciated your time and some really fascinating things to take away and for teachers to go away and think about, but also go try tomorrow uh, if they wanted to, which is uh, fantastic. Uh, last couple of questions for you. Who would you recommend for a future interview on this podcast? Well, I have to say, I think that was one of the hardest questions that you did send me. There's so many people um, who are just brilliant out there. So many people willing to share ideas. Um, it was a very difficult choice. Um, I think I would go for Alan O'Donoghue. Um, so Alan is, uh, if he's on Twitter at Techno Teacher, which is uh, T-E-K-N-O Teacher. Um, he works for the Exa Foundation. And I think what, what I, why I think Alan would be so great is that he's such a wonderful storyteller. And, you know, he, he teaches computing workshops and, and inspires computing teachers and, and primary primary uh, teachers who are just teaching computing. But, you know, he kind of has the ability to deliver a workshop that could just be using a list of vocabulary cards, you know, but the, and the way he talks, you know, uh, really makes you think deeply. And he has a, he has a wonderful ability as well of just accessing so many ages. He can sort of um, get uh quite complex concepts and adapt that so that a five-year-old could understand you know so he's a, he'd be a really great person to talk to i think to get his thoughts fantastic i love the sound of that i'll get in touch with him uh, later on and we'll see what we can set up and finally for you today james what is the best thing about being in primary education oh the best thing um i think the best thing i, I, I think with a couple of things there's you've got to mention the light bulb moments you know there's light bulb moments where the child goes oh I get it you know that, those wonderful moments that, that you get um recently I did um a little low stakes quiz um at the end of one of my coding units and there were children who I thought would do okay smashed it out getting 10 out of 10 you know and it was like wow that's brilliant you're really understanding this you know and to see the pride in their face as well of of getting that as well and the amount of times children especially with digital creativity which which we talked about you know the way they surprise you with what they've come up with and and their ideas you know the important thing is to give them structure because we know children love structure but let them flow with their creativity as well i think just the, the last thing i wanted to say as well matt was just what's great about primary and and being a teacher is when you know you've had an impact and um the last thing I'll say is I think at my summer fair last year, we had um, a few students, um, alumni students from year six who were probably in year nine by the time that they came back. They were, they were from a few years ago. And I was like, oh, hi, guys. How are you? It's so nice to see you. Oh, Mr. Fraser, it's so great to see you too. And I said, tell me what you guys are doing. What are you all studying? So they all said what they're all studying. And then one of them turned and he just goes, oh, I'm studying computer science. And I leapt up. I was like, are you? Oh, that's so brilliant. And I, and I sort of went, oh, I hope I've had some kind of influence on that. And he went, of course you did, sir. Absolutely. So, you know, to know that they've continued on studying the subject that you specialize in, that, you know, you've gone through and you've inspired them to carry on that learning, um, that absolutely made my year. So those are all the best things about primary education. Love it. I love it. Fantastic answer to an end of a great podcast. Thank you so much, James, for joining us on Primary Education Voices. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure and honor. Thank you so much, Matt.
Well, once again, wasn't that fantastic. It was great having James on the podcast. And I was really excited when I got to see the primary three, three that he had chosen to share with us. Uh, James listens to the podcast, as he, he told me at the start. And that was kind of the basis of why he had the first of the primary three being about connecting with other subject leaders and connecting with other people in education, whether that be in person or on social media. Um, you know, it is without a doubt that teachers teaching in 2023 have are just a wonderful array array of cpd which is at their fingertips for free i mean of course there are the conferences and conventions and various other things that go on which we need to engage with and we've heard other people talk about them on this podcast including james as well but just the ability to reach out and just get the the shared knowledge that we can do in today's teaching world education world in fact uh, it's just a powerful resource and so it was a really important point there by james about if you are not, you know, or if you feel like you want to widen your network more, then find some ways in which you can do that. And it will really help your teaching to no end. Then, of course, the second of the primary three was about AI and embracing AI in education. As he mentioned, this has kind of been sparked by the, the introduction and the, the distribution of Chats GPT around February time this year. And it has obviously kind of ballooned and just exploded onto the scene uh, and has done a number of things. And obviously, if you're sat there, you know, thinking, what is this Chat GPT? What is AI in education all about? What does it even look like? Uh, I really recommend you do look into it. As James spoke about, it has a great potential and power to do a number of things for teachers to help with their workload. Um, and to be able to support them in creating quality resources and materials and things and complete tasks which may be quite time consuming in a way that is with great quality, but also, you know, has the teacher as the for the thinking in the forefront driving that the power of that AI as well. I mean, James, you know, did it very much justice in explaining just a, a several of the ways that teachers could use it. And there are many, many more ways as well. And of course, we are only, you know, a few months into, um, you know, teachers exploring the use of AI in education. And as I mentioned myself, you know, just last week, Gillian Keegan, the, the education secretary, uh, was talking about you know, thinking about AI and looking at how we use AI in education and making sure that teachers can access it, but also we are we are wary about it. And he, James gave some really important uh, top tips about that as well. So I just really thought it was a fascinating thing to, to be able to discuss. And so was grateful to James for that. And then, of course, uh, we spoke about iPads and their use uh, in education and just how they can help children become digitally creative and you know, in our own teaching and learning, we can be digitally creative and have children explore and engage with content in a different way, which may engage them in other ways, but also um, that they can create their own and be creators, not just consumers of what they are learning about uh, and how they can create these one well, a vast array of um, outputs and outcomes to help demonstrate the learning that they have got rather than just writing it down. Uh, I think it's just a really important and fascinating point that James made there. So thank you so much, James, for joining us on the podcast. All that's left for me to say, and I didn't say this at the start like I normally do, but please do leave a review. It really, really would help uh, with the podcast with getting out there, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or wherever you listen. Uh, please do leave a review if you can or a rating. Whatever you can do to praise the podcast would really help. 
uh, share it on Twitter, wherever you, wherever you, you know, post or tweet or share or uh, whatever you do, please share the podcast and get out there a little bit more to, to raise that primary education voice. Um, thank you so much uh, for listening uh, this week. And if you're interested in sharing, you know, someone that you'd love to hear more from, please uh, let me know on, on Twitter at Prime Edgy Voices or me personally at mroberts90matt. Thanks for joining us to hear another primary education voice. And we'll see you again next time when we'll meet another inspirational educator.